Hi everyone, uh, this is Georgiana and you're listening to another episode of Employer Branding, the Inside Podcast. And today I'm talking to someone from Mambu. Mambu is one of the companies that are really, really dear to me. We've had Sofia Nunez, uh, one of the co-founders in a previous episode, actually, last year I think it was. But today we're talking to Stephen Brand, who is now telling the world about life at Mambu. Hi, Stephen. Good to have you here today. What is your role involving with Mambo, actually? Hi, Georgiana. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, so my role, yeah, I mean, kind of, as it, as it says, the, the role as, as described principally is to make sure that, um, so in, in its simplest terms, that everyone possible in the world knows about Mambo and knows about what it will be like to work here and that that we're able to give all of those people enough information to say either that sounds like exactly the kind of place I want to work, how do I sign up? Or in most cases, that's not really right for me. It's not the right sector. It's not the right culture. I'm going to go and look somewhere else. And that's fine as well. Um, so that's really the job is just to try and make sure every potential candidate in the market knows who we are, knows what we're like, and can make a proper, you know, informed, sensible decision about whether or not we're the right place for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And actually, I, I have to confess that you're you're one of the few people in employer branding that I've met so far who have an extensive resume in employer branding. It was really, really um, impressive for me to see that you've worked in employer branding for quite a while for HSBC, as I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile for AIA Worldwide, for uh, Randstad, SourceRight, Deloitte. A lot of companies. What what made you choose Mambo in the end? Um, I mean, it's very it's very different. So my my profile is quite um, for the most part quite corporate. So the Deloitte's and HSBCs of, of this world, which are interesting, and I guess those organisations would have had a focus on employer brand for slightly longer than some smaller organisations. So mm-hmm. you're more likely to find people doing what I do in in those big organisations. Um, and actually, the, the the appeal of Mambu was was kind of the opposite. Was the chance to go into something that didn't wasn't established, didn't exist, and properly build it from from the ground up. Um, and I think if you kind of have a um, a theory, an idea about how employer branding can be done, should be done, the impact it can have, being able to go in and just build rather than spend a lot of your energy dismantling things that aren't quite right. Uh, that they're already in place. Um, actually, there's a sort of freedom to that, um, which which was really appealing. And in all honesty, and I know everybody says this about organisations they work for, but in in the recruitment process, I met some incredibly impressive people. Um, it was a really flexible process around my timelines. Met some great people, real real energy about the business, and that, you know, as a candidate who doesn't know anything, you know, hands up, hadn't heard of Mambu before, <laughs> before sort of talking about this role. Um, but, but those people and the, their energy, their enthusiasm, their certainty about the future, uh, you know, is really um, w- w- was really impressive and, and helped persuade me that um, that it would be a good place to go. So yeah, a couple of reasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Stephen, I've I've already told you what what I like for this podcast for us today is basically touch on on two main themes. Um, one of them revolves around. Imp- employee value proposition and targeted value proposition, which I have to confess I didn't know anything about until I um, spoke to you, and then delivering a consistently impressive people experience. 
And I'd like to start by asking, what is exactly the difference between EVP and targeted value proposition? This looks to me like just another term in the employer branding jargon, which I'm sure it isn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, no. I mean, we don't do ourselves a lot of favors. Um, there is quite a lot of jargon out there. And look, in, in all honesty, um, there isn't really a right or a wrong way to do things, to to set yourself up, to build an employer brand strategy, to build an approach to that. I don't think anybody could tell you there is a right way and then there's a wrong way of doing things. I think what there is, is a series of different structures and approaches that are based on different beliefs about what an employer brand can and should be responsible for. So in its simplest, most basic form, I think a lot of organizations use employer brand just to say, how do I attract candidates? That's what I want this to do is just mm-hmm. about how how can we better attract candidates? So help me with that external focus. And that's all I'm really interested in. So what's my message, my creative, what are we doing externally? Um, and so that obviously has then a, a, a sort of a fairly limited set of metrics and things it's responsible for. Um, but but I, I've always thought it's a bit broader. It should be a bit broader than that. And the employer brand, so your reputation as a place to work should, should influence and can influence much more than just mm-hmm. your ability mm-hmm. to bring candidates into a pipeline. So it should be able to influence their performance and their enjoyment of their role while they're with you and also if they're then off-boarded and they go out and they're successful elsewhere, um, then the the reputation still has a role to play with those ex-staff um, as well, those ex-people and, and the relationship you can continue to have with them. So that's a much broader um, field maybe that employer brands should should potentially cover. Um, but again, it's not neither one is right nor wrong, different mm-hmm. philosophies, different approaches. The EVP, TVP thing, I think, um, kind of comes up or or grows up particularly for organizations where there are multiple uh, geographies multiple departments multiple skill sets that an organization is recruiting for and where the an employer value proposition so something that sits and is true and is honest of the whole organization sort of inevitably becomes a bit vanilla a bit um, imprecise a bit non-targeted for those different skill sets so I think it's difficult if you have an organ. I mean, we're only 800 people, but even for us, for 800 people, it's difficult to create a proposition that's mean, genuinely meaningful on a personal level to a, a new engineer versus a senior finance or salesperson. The things that they're looking for, the things that they're motivated and driven by, the things they want from an employer will, will be different. That's not to say that the proposition can't encompass them, but more that it, it, because it's talking to such a potentially broad church, it isn't talking very directly to a senior salesperson or to a junior developer. Mm-hmm. So it's talking in quite broad terms. And I think where the development of more targeted value propositions comes in is to be able to say when you're needing to talk to that more precise audience to that more precise market what elements of that global proposition of that um, holistic proposition do you most focus on so if i'm talking to a a junior developer there are elements of my proposition i feel will be or i know will be more meaningful Mm -hmm. to that individual and so when i'm thinking about then how i articulate the proposition to that market i'm going to change it it won't be 
it won't talk about different things, but it will focus on a different element of the proposition, which will resonate more strongly with that audience. And then I take a different approach potentially for this other skills audience over here. And I think organizations have looked at it and you can look at it from a skill, location, culture point of view, just to take that thing that tries to be everything and tries to, to describe the organization from a, an employer point of view to everyone. And that, again, we're only 800, but it can be to tens to hundreds of thousands of different people all around the world. You're trying to find something that's true of everything. But then that's, I think, necessarily and naturally not going to be incredibly precise for anyone. So the targeted value propositions, I think, is the attempted response to that, um, to say that you can still make it meaningful and make it really targeted to specific segments or audiences. I, I completely agree with what you're saying, Stephen, especially as I come from marketing, um, where we usually start by by analyzing personas whenever we we tackle a project so i, I totally agree the more um, condensed and the more well targeted the message is the better chance for for success in the end i'm just wondering how easy or how difficult is it to separate between these concepts in a large versus a small organization in a startup versus the corporate world um I mean, I think even in even in relatively small organizations, and, and again, we, we currently are very small, though growing um, ludicrously, but yeah, mm -hmm. currently quite small. But even there, there's, there's distinct, I think they call tribes internally, there'll be different departments, different teams, different personalities right. that exist across an organization, even there's only several hundred people. So, so again, they're expectations their motivations for coming to work will be very different it's very broad to talk in generational terms but you know, you'll have seen lots of reports that say different generations are young generations motivated more by certain things that a company stands for um is focused on um and therefore the ability to talk to that element of the organization's commitment may be more important than for those at later stages of their career where their focus is on is maybe on different areas so i think even in um smaller organizations there's still um, the potential need for it um i think that the challenge becomes for, for me and for anyone doing a role like mine is where you ask the business to stop because you can just keep on slicing and say, well, I need then a value proposition for people with this skill set, but in Eastern Europe, as opposed to USA, as opposed to out in Asia Pacific, because they're yeah. different cultures. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem becomes the more you you slice, the smaller the, the audience, the harder it becomes to get anything actually done. You, you spend sort of too much time, I think, creating the groups and the little micro audiences um, and, and so, and, and relatively little time actually activating and deploying these things. So I think there's a there's a balance to be found where the organisation, your stakeholders, the people you're working on behalf of, are convinced and comfortable that you're working with them to localise and to target this this more global proposition. But a point at which you have to stop slicing and say this is the, the the value proposition this is how we will um sort of categorize and group our propositions in our organization because it works and now we want to get into activation and deployment i was wondering as we we continue with our next topic which is people experience it's it's already a very very broad topic right and i've read a lot and heard a lot about delivering a good people experience and then delivering it consistently and then delivering it in corona times 
and like I said, it's it's super broad. But if we were to just narrow it down a little bit to a set of I don't know tips or things that you consider are important when delivering good people experience, what would they be? Um, I mean, probably the, the the main one, maybe the, uh, the 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 principal one to 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 worry about. That I think has been probably of, of biggest. Um, concern to, to people over the last 18 months to two years while we've all been living very separately from each other even though we're you know connected as we are today it's still there's a great separation that exists is that um is that sort of honesty and transparency so i think it's it's again it's in, in terms of employer brand buzzword bingo transparency and, and honesty that come up time and time again but i think from a communications point of view that's that's what um people in organizations are looking for from the business from the leadership is is that that transparency and that frequency of communications that sense that they'll they they um understand what's happening with the organization that they're kept up to date with with these sort of developments in the organization because there isn't that physical collective anymore where you you would overhear these things where these kind of developments in an organization are easier to come by and you feel much more physically connected to your colleagues and what's happening in the organization because there's a physical place where you would gather and you would hear these things because we're all now sitting in our in our living rooms or our bedrooms working and there's that separation i think it necessarily makes people a little bit more nervous and anxious about what's happening with the organization um because again it's very easy when you're sitting alone um trying to do your work to hear news stories about the economic impact of covid and the lockdown and, and various things and what is that doing to the labor market and all of those kind of things so i think principally uh, a good people experience is, is people don't expect an organization to to dress up and, and pretend that things are all great and, and rosy and that it's all fine, la di da di da. People are, you know, have grown up, they understand the challenges businesses are, are working through. But what they don't, I think, like what makes them nervous, what makes them uncomfortable, and what makes them start to distrust their employer is this sense that things are being sort of held back from them, that there are um, things happening that are not being communicated to them. And I think that then necessarily once that, I think we used to talk about it a long time, that sort of psychological contract where you trust your employer to do right by you and, and they trust you to do your work to the best of your ability. Once that contract is broken, once you don't trust necessarily the organisation, I think it's very difficult then to continue to work for them certainly to continue to work at, at at the level that that you would want to and that the business needs you to so you know and i've i've worked somewhere before where that is exactly what happened that kind of that that sort of undercurrent and we were still in offices then so it was, it was even it was easier but you know um it's still that 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 sort of undercurrent of i don't know what's happening i feel there are things happening there's quiet whispered conversations then once you start to get to that place where you yeah you just don't trust what the that the organization has your best interests at heart then i think even if if employees stay then then that discretionary effort that real commitment to the cause and to the mission is lost and that's where i think businesses can start to to really struggle um mm -hmm. because you're 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 maybe holding on to somebody that's there just because there's nowhere else to go and as soon as there is 
um, that they'll leave, um, which which is obviously damaging for the organisation. So I think principally it's that. I know that's that's easy to say and, and less easy to do when part Absolutely. of the role as a, as a leader, you probably feel is a degree of shielding and protection of staff. Um, but I think in, in these times with social being what it is, with news media being what it is, it's kind of difficult to keep stuff genuinely quiet. And, and often you're better off sharing where the organisation is at, what it's having to do, what that impact that may have on, on employees, the steps you're taking to offset it, just to be very, very clear and transparent. So those then that, you know, if regrettably there is any downsizing, any restructuring, those that come through with oh, you, yeah. mm. come through kind of unscathed, believing in understanding that you did, you know, you were clear about what you're doing, why you were doing, you did what you said you were going to do, um, you communicated as frequently as you said you were going to do. And so those people still have that engagement with you. And even maybe those that left appreciate that, you know, they understand the rationale and the reasons and the process that went into that. Um, so I think in terms of a people experience through these crazy times, and let's hope then they're, they're not this way forever, but that's probably just the number one thing yeah. is, is to, to be to be honest and to be open with, with people and to be and to then empower those because obviously there's there's leadership, but they might be 10, 15 rungs up the ladder from people on the ground. So lower down leaders, managers have to be empowered to be able to have those conversations as well and not feel like they um, can't talk openly about what's happening with the business. So it's that sort of culture of openness, I think. Um, those organisations that have got that right will, will be the ones, have been the ones mm -hmm. that have, have sort of sailed through and, and will be the ones that continue to do well, I think. Absolutely, I agree. Mm, where do you think data comes into place in employer branding? So the fun thing I think about employer branding and data is that um, employer branding can, um, can lay claim to supporting and helping the achievement of a number of important metrics for an organization, everything from the um, engagement rates through social and, and external marketing activity through to the conversion ratios in a funnel. So getting right. better, yeah. better people into interviews, getting more yeah. people to qualifying that apply, getting to interview because they're better quality, getting more people to accept offers because they know more about the organization. Exactly. So they want to join mm -hmm. it. Fewer people leaving within three months because they knew what it was going to be like when they signed up for it. They're better people that are coming in, more equipped to do the job. So they should also be productive quicker. They should each make money for the organization more quickly they should be high performers and be more likely therefore to get promoted in the first year than your average um then then might be the case in other organizations so there's all of these things so then going through two three years out the organ you should be able to listen to and say if i've done all of those things so if we're more visible yep but without but but that doesn't translate into just a load of crap going in the pipeline we're more visible but better people are making applications because they know more about us, they're more inspired by what we're doing and they understand what it takes to work here. So we're getting a better quality of candidate through and therefore when they join, they're not leaving because they know what it's going to be like and they're good people so they're performing yeah. well, is what I should be able to see is our profits are up, share price is up, we've got more clients, those kind of things that are proper business performance metrics. So again, you can say 
I expect if I'm doing my job well that I'm contributing to that. But obviously, I can't turn around to the CEO and go, the reason the share price is going up is because I'm doing a good job because there are, you know, a hundred other factors that that come into that as well. And it's even the same with with the social activity. So there's the there's obviously what we're doing, the clarity of message and the creative, the the the, the quality of the story we're telling, all of those things that are in my control that should help with engagement levels, share levels, comment levels. But there are also, there'll be other factors as well, like the technologies, the, the algorithms and on the social platforms, what the audience is particularly interested in, all of these other things that will mm-hmm. affect that as well. So so data plays, plays a huge part, um, undoubtedly, and, and we're in a position now that we haven't previously been where we can measure pretty much everything we do and report to the business on the the outcomes of that um, and demonstrate to a degree the value of it but there's always the limitation or the or the but moment where you say but that's not probably just what we're doing here there are other factors so we are contributing towards this positive metric but we're probably not the sole um, reason for it and i think that's where again challenge around the value of the employer brand, what brand, what budget it should have, what resource it should have becomes challenging because there are relatively few metrics that that you can say that's exclusively because the employer yeah. brand is 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 high functioning and high performing, including the 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 conversion metrics through the through the, the funnel. Absolutely, me and my team doing what we do well should improve that. But equally as we as the sources and our recruiters get more confident, then they'll be helping with that. Um, you know, as as word of mouth seeps seeps out hopefully into the candidate marketplace, that yeah. should also help. So there'll be other contributing factors, um, which is yeah, why why don't you stand up in front of, of C suite and, and everything's a little bit feels like a bit of a hedged bet where you're saying we're contributing to it and I can show you some data points that shows, you know, we are having a positive impact, but we're not the sole reason for these things to be happening. Um, so I think it's I think it's really important, but it, it still highlights, you know, there's still a lot of gaps. So, so, so where I worked before as, as one example, there's still challenges a lot yeah. of organizations have in tracking the full journey. So a candidate that experiences you and consumes some of your content on social, but then doesn't apply for a month, two months, three months, and they apply because everybody does they just go i remember seeing that thing a few months ago now i want to find out about jobs i'm just going to google and search mambu jobs and then all of the reporting says well google just delivered you that candidate no they didn't at all but because they switched devices or a certain amount of time had elapsed i can't the credit for the storytelling and the real connection that happened at the beginning of the journey doesn't isn't possible at this point it's difficult to make that connection so i know over here i've got that content and it's generating connections and likes and shares but i can't then i don't have a firm black line through to candidates applying a month six weeks two months or even the next day if it's on a different device all of these things sort of break some of that some of that the the solidness of that reporting so then it it gets into a little bit of of assumptive reporting, I guess. So where you you make judgments based on, look, if we're getting all of this engagement over here and the quality of applications is going up, mm-hmm. then it seems a fair assumption to me to, or a fair hypothesis to say that the quality of information we're providing to a targeted yeah. market okay. is resulting mm-hmm. 
in part in, in these better applications, but I don't have that line that says this person here saw that and applied as a result. Because um, candidate recall isn't trustworthy, the data, you can't quite join up the journey. So it's better than it's ever been, but it's not quite perfect yet. So still, as an employer brand person, you you, you sort of justify your existence and your impacts, I think, with sort of, um, uh, with a, with a, like a patchwork quilt of of, of data points, um, where you try and you're trying to tell your own story, but it's from a series of data points you try and sew together, rather than it being a very seamless and easy thing to report on. Um, so yes, so it's very important, but not quite perfect. We're getting there. I think we're. Well, it's better than it's ever been. You know, it's <laughs> yes, a million miles away exactly. from adding the paper across Absolutely. your fingers for two weeks to see what happens. So it's a lot better than it's than it's been i think um you know i think there's also a resource element in all honesty so again employer brand and, and teams a lot of focus is likely to be on that outward on that activation on the what are we going to do what's the content strategy going to be where should we be what should the content be and, and not so much on having somebody that's just focused on the data and the reporting and really challenging and questioning everything that we do and, and learning from it all the time, I think still that's sort of the relatively poor cousin of, of the sort of end to end work that, that we do. Um, and there's more focus and more interest on that, that front end bit and less on the looking at the numbers and what, what that sort of tells us. Um, so I think, again, the more time we as, as people in the industry sort of focus on um, bringing some proper data scientists in as part of the team or just teaching ourselves better how to interrogate all of these data sources and, and, and tell stories from them. Um, like, and that's where probably other marketing type, consumer marketing is, is again ahead in terms of recognising the power of that bit of the storytelling journey. Um, I think we're getting there, but probably, probably aren't there yet. Um, what's been the most difficult thing you've ever had to do as an employer branding manager? Oh, as an employer branding manager? Yes. 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 That, we stick to employer it. branding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think the, the, the biggest challenges often are where you're working on behalf of organizations that um, have always done things a certain way um, and that's no longer necessarily what you think is the best way or the right way um, but then this was this was um, sort of what I was talking about a little earlier with the the appeal of Mambo a little bit was was that you're not going into somewhere that has 15 to 20 years of kind of having always done things this way and having to try and make sense of and then dismantle parts of, of that in order to, to modernize or, or to change the focus. Uh, I think much easier to go into something that, that kind of doesn't just is, is an empty field for you to for you to build something or much better than, than, than trying to dismantle something. Because I think also, there's still a lot, in, particularly in, in, in big organisations, but even in, in smaller organisations, there's quite a lot of um, explanation um, and justification that, that an employer brand will, team, but professional would need to, to give to stakeholders across the organisation about exactly what it is, exactly where it starts and stops, exactly what 
benefits it yields to the organization that don't kind of happen anyway that wouldn't happen if you weren't you know if you yeah. weren't there doing it you know why do why do we need you um and i think that's becomes that much more challenging when you're also asking for resource or you're asking to change something that's that's been done a certain way for a long time and some of those conversations can be very challenging because again to to go back to the data point you're talking particularly at, at, at up front you're talking almost in abstract about what you will do rather than providing any guarantees for what will happen i think again um, all of the logic and the science and experience in other organizations will, will tell you what you're able to achieve but um it's difficult and probably a bit foolish to put specific numbers metrics savings or anything against work in advance of, of really getting into it and doing it. Um, and so again, for, for individuals um, in an organization that, that have done things a certain way and it's always delivered a result, um, then the idea of dismantling that on the promise that it might make things better, but you can't quantify exactly how, um, that's, that's quite a challenging thing. It's quite a challenging yeah. message um, to sell convincingly. It's quite a challenging thing for people to buy I think it's much safer um, in, in established organizations to continue doing what they were doing. So as, a, as an example, and it's not massively sort of just focused on employer branding, but I've worked for organizations where in uh, early careers, um, you would, you'd have a, a suite of events that you would go to, a suite of universities that you would visit and you would do their careers fairs. And every year you rock up and you do the same thing. And then you sort of, uh, and so the question was, okay, what, sort of return on that investment that we're seeing and, and nobody knows yeah, exactly. but because yeah. at the end of the season they've filled all of the graduate roles you're almost then duty bound to go and do everything you did last year yep. because that's that that filled it but you don't know which bits of it mm -hmm. so you kind of know probably that around 50 percent of the stuff you're doing is an utter waste but you're paralyzed you can't change anything just in case that's one of the bits that is delivering people because you've got no idea what is. So it's just that, it's that sort of thing that it works. So why do I want to mess with it? And it's like, well, because there are bits in there that aren't working. There's money you're spending that isn't that isn't worthwhile. There's, you know, there's there's things you're doing that are probably giving candidates a bad experience. And just because at the end you get the right number of hires, that shouldn't be the only metric that 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 you're looking at. You should be looking at each of these events and thinking, is that the right one for me? And if it's not, then that's a great investment for me to go and try something else, to go and experiment with this, to go and buy that, rather than sort of, you know forcing myself year after year to do exactly the same things time and time again, because I just don't know which bits of it are working and which aren't. So I think that kind of conversation is quite challenging. It's quite a challenging one to have, because also, as you'll know, in, in our world, there's never a quiet sort of six months where you can go, right, well, we're not going to be recruiting really for the next six months. So now is the perfect time to just look at everything yeah. we're doing and really take it all to pieces and rebuild it. You know, you're doing all of this stuff while the recruiting machine is still rumbling along and candidates are still coming through. So, so it's always trying to make some big changes while also helping the business with the day-to-day -day and making sure that none of the wheels fall off the machine that needs to keep bringing people through. Um, and so, so yeah, so, so for big organizations and probably even for small ones that have been doing things a certain way, um, it can be very challenging to 
um, to persuade them to do something fundamentally different without the guarantee that it will make things better, just the theory and the logic and the common sense that says it will make things better. But that's not the same as, as, as you know, signing your name to it and saying it definitely will or, you know, or you can have my house. I'm not putting my house up for it. But I believe it will, it will, it will, it will make things better. But it's, I think that's an easier, easier message to ignore. So I think those conversations are probably some of the hardest that I've had to have. I, I always compare our um, field of activity, our line of work with, uh, with that of engineers. And I always tell myself, it's so easy to evaluate what you've done when, when you code or, you know, when you're a technical person. Whereas when, when you're at the intersection of marketing and HR and all of these soft-skilled um, environments, it sometimes can be very difficult. Yeah, exactly. And I think you, because, again, it's, you know, different organizations interpret employer branding yeah. different ways. They believe it. It, it is different things and build a team to deliver a different thing. So there is no, you know, there is no uniformity to it. It's each organization defines it in a slightly different way and, and expects it maybe to be responsible for slightly different things. Um, so yes, you are a little bit, I mean, you know, that was why I always think that my, um, my job is to be useful to the business. That's, that's it really. It's not what, what I might want to do. It's not always, um, even what I think is um, is the the best thing to do for for the organisation. You know, what my job is to do what the organisation needs me to do to be useful and valuable to them. Um, so that means where I think there's a right way to do things, I'll fight for it because I think that will be a benefit to the organisation. But ultimately, if the organisation, my my sort of clients, my customers say we want to do it this way, then it's my job to do the best version of that way that I possibly can, not to yeah. refuse or throw my toys out of the pram or, or, you know, that's ultimately my job is to recommend, persuade um, and, and try and set the right direction, what I believe is the right direction. But ultimately, you know, if my clients and customers want to go in a different direction, then then it becomes my job to to do that way the, the best that I can. So I don't think, again, you can be too, or at least I've never seen a lot of value in being too precious about what we do. You know, I, I, I believe things and I, I sort of work with a philosophy in mind, but that's not to say that I think my way of looking at the world is right and anybody else who thinks differently is wrong. I think the beauty of what we do is that it's still relatively new. It's, it's still forming and deciding what it is. It's defined in a whole different you know, hundreds probably of different ways. And so every lots of people can come into it with different ideas and interpretations and approaches to it. Um, and I don't think it's for anyone to say it's right or wrong, um, but it's more just what kind of works for you in that organization. Um, and then thinking, right, if that's, if this is our function, and this is my purpose in this organization, then how am I going to show the value? What's how do I make sure that the business understands where I'm contributing? Not owning again, not solely responsible for anything, maybe, but how can I show leadership and, and peers and things the the value that, that we're contributing to the to the organization? Um, and, and those things might be very, very different from one role to to another. And that's part of the joy and obviously part of the frustration as well. But it's it's good to know that you're not the type of person who says it's my way or the highway. That's always so. Well, no, I mean, I think, you know, smart people than I said that the whole point of, of you know, is, is I, I've read, I don't think I've ever been in a room um, uh, where I'm the smartest person in it. That's really not the, that's really not the aim. It's mm -hmm. just I've kind of got a, 
I've got an idea about how I I think things work and and the way I think things should be approached, but um, that doesn't mean that that I'm right. It doesn't mean that I know exactly how to execute on that. It doesn't mean that I know the organisation I work for better than other people who might actually say, for us, this would probably work better. So it's always been about um, trying to build those relationships internally, build networks, build connections, all of the content, all of the channels, all of the impact really lies with within the, with the people in the organisation. You know, if I put stuff out and I spend hours agonising over the language and I craft it and I bang it up on the corporate LinkedIn page, hardly anybody sees it and nobody believes what they read because the organisation's saying it. So that doesn't really hold any water. But if I can convince half a dozen, two dozen internal people to share some of their experience of working at our organization, what it means to them on their own social channels, or just tell the stories and let us share, let, let us um, enable some of their other colleagues to share them, then the reach massively outstrips what I can do myself organically. Um, and also it's believable and it's credible um, in, in a way that the, the, the corporate sort of stuff isn't. So, so it's always been about um, networks and, and relationships internally and, and sitting by myself with my philosophy and my ideas. It's, I'm just going to be a sad, lonely, dusty old fellow with, that gets nothing done. It, it only works if, if you can um, make yourself useful to other people, if you can explain what you're trying to do clearly to other people, if you can take them on the journey with you and, and help show them how they can be a part and the kind of impact that this work can have. So I think you can excite people by talking about you know, what good employer brand execution can, can deliver for their organisation, how it can make their lives better um, as a result and excite them and show them how they can contribute and enable them to do it and make it easy for them to do that. Um, because ultimately, if, if you don't have their support, then you can't get you can't get anything done. You can't tell any stories. You can't reach anyone. You know, you're, you're just mm-hmm. you're just a man by himself shouting at no one. So um, yeah, so that's that's always been always been kind of key. So you're you're just there to be to be useful and to be valuable and to be helpful and to be inquisitive about what the organisation is up to and look for ways to to turn existing content to things you could use or to take things that you know and share them with other parts of the organization. So just to create connections and conversations and things, because that's where that's where interesting things happen is, is where you're just, you know, you're just talking to someone and something comes out or you you, you find a way that, that some candidate data might be useful to, to one of the marketing teams and, and that creates a connection that then they, they'll share back with you. So it's all of just these these ways of working and, and navigating, I think, helps make the job a lot, a lot easier. Because, um, like I say, you can't really, you can't do anything if if your colleagues internally don't understand what it is you do, don't believe in it, don't want to be a part of it. Then, then you won't be able to get anything done, regardless of how smart you might be or how savvy your strategy might be. It's just a document unless everyone comes along with you. You know, Stephen, as as we're approaching the end of the year, I'm I'm wondering if there's any trend that you can predict for employer branding in 2022, or that you can recognize at the moment. I would I would dread to predict anything that will happen even next week, <laughs> next year. <laughs> but but I mean, I think I think sort of casually, I would probably observe there are there seem to be more roles in organizations now 
of organizations of all size that are focused on this sort of area of work mm -hmm. so i think there is a broader <clears throat> recognition that it's something that should be done that organizations can and should look at um what so so i think there's a there's a broad um broader understanding that employer brand is is a a thing as an organization you should probably be looking at be aware of be interested in um what will be interesting to see in the next year in the next two years is if the profile of the role goes up so still i think um the role is a relatively mid-level one even sort of leads and heads off um and it doesn't necessarily have the strategic weight that i think it should given what it is potentially responsible for and what it can be responsible for. So, so I, I sort of envisage a future where the head of employer brands sits at that sort of fairly senior level management table because you're, you're helping direct and influence the talent acquisition strategy as an example, rather than at the moment where you're almost a function of it. So you help the talent acquisition strategy, you, you bring it to life, and so you sit in that function. I think longer term, it's we should aim, the profession should aim that we sit above and actually what the employer brand is and where we want to take the reputation of the organization as an employer influences the TA, the talent acquisition strategy, just as it influences, you know, reward, it influences how we engage with alumni. So those kind of things. So having an ambition to not professionalize is the wrong way to put it, but have I think um, more ambition about mm -hmm. how influential, how important employer brand can be to organisations, and being a bit, um, yeah, just being a bit more confident about where that role should sit um, within organisations. So I'll be interested to see if that if that starts to to happen as organisations start to be able to join some dots and say, actually, rather than it just being over here, it can sort of have impacts here, here, and here. So maybe. Um, you know, the, the role then starts to expand and things. So I think um, it will be interesting to see if, if, that, if that starts to happen. But it seems like the logical next step after that recognition that it's something we should be looking at, then maybe also start to, what are the benefits? And if I, if there's this benefit, if I gave, if I had this portfolio, maybe I start to see that broader benefit and just start to see if organisations start to broaden out the portfolio of, of employer brand to, to be more than just focused on on that external um, piece and, and the attraction piece, which is where a lot sits at the moment. Not all, and, and some some are, are ahead, but for the most part, that's kind of where it lives. So it'll be interesting, I think, to, to observe and, and see if that happens in the next 12 months. But um, yeah, I mean, who knows? The planet could explode. I mean, it's impossible to predict what's going to happen. So <laughs> just, just Yeah, no, but, but fingers yeah. crossed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fingers crossed it doesn't. But, but yeah, buckle up. It could be a bit of a crazy, crazy year. But but yeah, I mean, like, you know, things like this. So there's more conversation about it. You know? There's more profile people are more interested mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. trying to work it out. More people are coming into it earlier on in careers, not just sort of happening into it after 10 years doing something else. There are more people that are starting careers in, in this area. So I think it's all good and healthy and right. The thing now I think is that, that as a practice, it, 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 we need to think about how we can elevate it um, and make sure that, that leaders, the C-suites understand how profound the impact could be if you're really allowed to go to town on it rather than just be shut away in your little corner. Mm -hmm. 
we're uh, approaching the end of, of this podcast. And my last question to you, Stephen, is what is one resource that has been crucial in your career as an employer branding manager? Um, what did I say? Just anything. Book, movie, blog, so, newspaper. I mean, the, the thing that... that um that, that is, is kind of the go-to must-read, must-stay connected to is, is um, um, recruiting brain food. So the weekly, mm-hmm. weekly from Hungley, um, again, most of it is nothing to do with employer brand at all. So it's by no means one of the, the core topics. But what it is, is um, a couple of bits. So, so there's such a range of content and information in there yeah. that it really broadens your thinking about the, the, the markets we operate in, the world we operate in. So though a lot of the stuff isn't directly applicable to what I do, it's interesting and it makes you think in slightly different ways. Um, and also the community is incredibly active. Um, so, you know, there's lots of questions answered, lots of topics being discussed all the time. So again, in terms of thinking about employer brand, my topic, but recruiting and candidate experience more broadly. It's a really big engaged group from all corners of the earth, all corners of the world, thinking about how can we be better at what we do? How can we do better? How can we perform better? How can we improve things for, for our businesses and for our candidates and for ourselves? And I think that's kind of what drive will drive us forward is, is not us all sitting separately and thinking, well, I can't talk to other heads of TA, I can't talk to other employer brand people because they're trying to nick my candidates. They work for the competition. It, it only kind of works, I think, where you pull people together that that have similar interests that are that, that kind of all work in, in the same field and, and look to share ideas and ask questions and, and challenge and discuss. And that really pushes things on. I think the group that Hung's sort of created over the years is not just a great place to go and mm-hmm observe and listen to and digest the content which is helpful but you can also really it's a really engaged and, and alive community um so it really pushes on i think thinking and ideas around sort of what we could do what we can do what we should aspire to so i think yeah i don't always understand a lot of it <laughs> but i make a point of you know, on sunday morning trying to read through it pull out some some interesting bits mm-hmm. um you know share on those things i think contacts or people that, that man, we might be interested those kind of things I think are really important just to keep keep the brain fresh yeah. um, all the time. I agree. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily employer branding related. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, it's kind of, a, it's a little bit of a fact. So James Ellis's newsletter on employer brand is really good as oh, well. Yes. And, and Paul's, mm-hmm. Paul's sources. And, you know, I've got a lot of time for James because, you know, he talks about it in a way that just his, his manner is, is engaging and exciting. I, know. And, I hope to get him on this podcast one day. If I, yeah, if I, should, if I do enough prayers, not. maybe it works out in a few maybe, years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, and, and James is, is going to be, be, be prepared not to get a word in edgewise, though, um, if he does come on. But but yeah, again, the energy is what you, is what you need. Um, and, and, you know, he's good because, it, yes, it's more employer brand focused, but there are also things that pull from broader brand mm-hmm. and marketing and learnings and things that I think are helpful. So, it's, again, it's all about kind of the something that's that's kind of focused on what you do in the day to day, but but that really challenges you, that brings things in from outside, mm. from left field that you might not have thought of by yourself um, and giving you access to those resources that then further reading, maybe you deep dive into a topic you pick up in the brain food or something and that yep. takes you off to, in, into a place you wouldn't have thought of and you wouldn't, if you just stayed laser focused on what employer brand is, you wouldn't have ever got there. And I think just for 
yeah, just for sanity, for interests, for for your own sort yeah. of intellectual Diversity. curiosity. Mm-hmm. You know, you always want to be exploring those things and seeing is there anything I can learn that I can bring in or, or move across or that would apply or that somebody in my business would find useful. Because again, that way, I'm valuable, I'm helpful, I'm useful to my organisation, and that's sort of where I, where I what I always want to be. So um, yeah, yeah, I'd say those are those are probably the ones. Okay, well. Um... Yes, we are at the end of our discussion. Uh, thank you so much for, for talking to me today, Stephen. I look forward to catching up with you six months from now, one year from now, just to hear how things have been with Mambu. And um, yeah, good luck with everything you do. Thank you very much. Thank you for having, having me on. Yeah, it's going to be a, a big year next year, I think, for everyone. Um, so yeah, yeah, happy to keep in touch. And yeah, let's see what 2022 brings us all. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.